Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast, a delayed Coleman Had a Dream podcast. We've not done anything for a while. Um, I'm here, as always, with Ruth. How are you, Ruth? Morning. Doing all right. It's been it's been a while. But, it has been a while. Yeah, I know. You've you've spent your time running, and I, and I've spent my time <laughs> running away. <laughs> Ruth has been avoiding a selection of landslides, fires, broken tractors, and uh, another such treats in in Oregon. Yeah, yeah, the landslide was an interesting one. That 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 was the really frightening one. We had to, we had to move quick um, and get out of the way of a a potential river that became blocked by the landslide and then would have would have you know gone quickly like like a dam going. So we had to get out of the way of that pretty quick, which was which was quite interesting. Um, but we're we're back at our base now, so you know life has settled down again. But but you're um, busy doing your knees in. You should tell folks about this. <laughs> yeah, I uh, my wife after drinking far too much Bailey's, and I say my wife, but the pair of us drinking far too much Bailey's on New Year's Eve. Um, I said I hadn't done a, a challenge this year. I like to do some sort of running challenge to raise money for Valindra. And uh, she was just like, I bet you can't run 2,021 miles in 2021. And I was just like, yeah, of course I can. Uh, and then I actually started thinking about it. And it turns out she was probably right. Um, but I'm going to have a good go. So I've, I'm trying to run uh, 2,021 miles uh, this year. I've just passed my 100-mile mark, which I'm quite happy, actually, after... After 18 days is pretty decent. So if anyone wants to, to sponsor me to do this, this is, just seems like a big plug now. This was uh, not what I was after. <laughs> but, uh, then uh, then there's, there's, there's information I can give you. Search for Run 2021 on uh, Just Giving. But yeah, I'm. Uh, I, it's quite, I quite like it's, have a good excuse to get out at the minute. It's, it's quite nice, I think. Um, I'm not sure I will feel that way, you know, when it's pouring down with rain and I can't feel my knees anymore. But, you know, for now... I will uh, I will take it. Um to look more at football related matters, which is why people are here, not not to, you know, hear our life stories. Um <laughs> it's not yeah, there's no Michael Aspel. Was he this is your life? Was that am I thinking the right thing? Have I made the right gag? I think there? so. Yeah. It's, it's, he take, took over from Eamon Andrews, didn't he? Oh, I don't know. So you're showing your age there now, Ruth. Uh, <laughs> well, I I'm always showing my age. That's not the problem. <laughs> um, well, that's a solid start. We're about three minutes in and we've only said football once. Um, <laughs> so um, the big news at the moment, of the moment, sorry, is that Jane Ludlow has, by mutual consent, um, stepped down from her position as Wales manager. Um Obviously, it's something that is, is caused by surprise a little bit. Um, my first question or thought, really, Ruth, is whilst it may have caught us by surprise, the way it kind of came out and the very well-prepared and put-together pieces that the FAW have done, it, it makes you think that this has not been a surprise to them. Well, I, I, I think it's, it has been brewing for a couple of months, really, hasn't it? Since the since the campaign finished, there were there were perhaps more rumours the prior to Christmas, and then and then it died down again. I think we all sort of thought it was you know stable, um, but I mean clearly, I think the mutual agreement thing for once, I think, might actually be a fair reflection of how both parties both parties yeah. feel. Jane's been there for six years. She's she's brought us so so far, and I can understand that she's perhaps ready for some new some new challenges. And and the FAW might 
might be thinking she's been great but do we need some fresh blood and you know and I think if you can if you can come to this agreement genuinely mutually then clearly it's better for it's better for everybody and I think I think the the respect that both parties show for each other in those statements it's very clear that it's been a great six years and and her impact has been incredible yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the the chat of it started to come about when there were rumours of her maybe taking over as the West Ham ladies' manager. Um, and that that didn't kind of come to pass. And I don't know if that maybe was a bit of a, 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 not an alarm bell, but like a chime or something going off in Jane's head thinking, do you know what, this is something I want to do every day. I do want to be on this every day, not just have these little windows where I'm coaching with players and... And that maybe if she was, you know, on the fence about what she wanted to do moving forward, that maybe this kind of made her mind up for her a little bit. Yeah, I think as well with it being a, I don't think we've got a competitive game now until the early autumn. That's that's a big gap for yeah, you as September. a coach. Yeah. If that's, you know, if that's really what you love about the role, and obviously it is, and she's very good at it. I can understand how um, just wanting to do that more day to day is an attraction it was interesting what she said about taking on this technical leadership joining this technical leadership team with with fifa i think it'd be yeah. interesting to learn to learn more about that at that as that develops uh because she's clearly got a lot uh, an awful lot to offer yeah i agree it's, it is an interesting one and i think and i think maybe the the challenge of every day would be something she wants but also maybe a bit more consistency like because i know that over the last six years she's been doing think she's been doing like 16s 18s and the seniors or something like that so you know she's obviously had a, a lot of varied challenges and I don't know if maybe she wanted to concentrate more on the first team and and that kind of wasn't feasible or whether she didn't like doing kind of bits um with with not much kind of regularity like you say I don't know I, the, the final thought before I kind of rightly praise her is I, I wonder if she like you mentioned there, the need for new blood, a new set of eyes on things. I wonder if she's maybe thought to herself, well, look, I've got nine months or so before we play another competitive game. We've just missed out on qualifying. There's a selection of players there who are getting older. I think, I don't know if maybe she another part of her thinking might be, do you know what, I'm going to kind of leave on the on the peak of a wave relatively speaking and these are the problems that need to be solved like you know you know some of our older players may be moving on and needing to be replaced whether she's you know whether she and the FAW together have thought well m maybe now is the best time for that kind of transition to happen where they have a nine month spell where they can replace her and kind of formulate a plan going forward as well yeah, I mean, I think the space between now and the competitive games is important. I don't think there's a rush really to appoint a manager. Obviously, you know, you want to start putting feelers out and, and seeing who is interested and what and what the the uh, a new coach might bring. But equally, there's no urgency either. And I th I think that there's there's merit in the timing. I mean, it's much better for the FAW. She's made, she's made that decision in January than she makes it in July, say. So I think all in all, it's it's about as good timing as you could have on this sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. and I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't know, but I'm sure that there's people at the FAW who, you know, either have had hours cut. I don't know whether people have been furloughed given the circumstances at the moment, um, saving money on on 
on a manager's wages for a for a few months is probably not doing anyone any harm at the moment either. Not I'm sure it didn't come down to that, but I'm sure that was possibly part of someone's thinking somewhere along the line. So um, interesting, interesting turn of events, really. I mean, you mentioned there appointing a new manager. I don't think we're going to go down the road too far, are we, of uh, of who we think should or shouldn't uh, be the next person. But I was kind of doing a bit of research and, and knocking about with a few names, and there's a lot of people with experience coaching in the in the women's league in in the UK who are out of work at the minute. There's definitely some viable options whether they would want to step away from you know, wanting to return to club football to, to be a, an international manager, I don't know. But the one name that I did come up with that I thought was kind of feasible was Lauren Dykes, who's taken a step away from playing. Um, she's obviously not featured in any of the Wales uh, playing setups for a while. She's um, assistant coach at, uh, at Bristol City Ladies. So I don't know whether maybe that would be part of the plan to get, you know, like uh, Jane was, to get another a, a player to come kind of fairly quickly into the ranks and who knows the squad um, who's had a bit of a coaching experience away from Wales um, and can can possibly have an impact I think if we had games coming up in March say I think that would be a very good scenario I, I, I just think I can see the FAW just taking the opportunity to to step back and and see what the field is come kind of may really want you know once you get more coaching turnover and but i don't disagree with with your suggestion of lauren dykes i'm sure i'm sure she's in consideration um she's you can you can see the improvements bristol are one of those teams that have really been improving lately and i i I don't think the two are unrelated yeah i mean it'll be an interesting one and i and i certainly hope that uh whatever happens you know, it's a well thought out and, uh, and and good decision. I think the the FAW we've said this a lot of times have made a lot of good decisions uh, over the last few years. So I hope this will will continue to be the same. Um, I'm sure that if a new manager was appointed, that they would probably put in some friendly games further through the year um, uh, to kind of help those help the the those women's players, but also also the new manager that that may or may not come in. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I think even. Even some squad sessions would be welcome, wouldn't they? Even if we can't get international games, friendlies organised. Something which I think, and I'm, I'm, I don't think the two are connected at all, but I do think it muddies the waters. Is Phil Neville's departure from England, and just what that might mean for a coach for for the Olympics? Because I, I, you know, I think there's a and I'm not saying at all that I do think the two things are connected, but I do think it then muddies the waters around decisions for appointments and managers and coaches. If there's, you know, just the more the more um, the more things are being juggled by the more organisations, just the harder it is to get anything in place. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know obviously England have already appointed their current. Uh, their new manager, sorry, for when Phil never leaves, but I don't think that included the the Olympics, as you said. No, she's gonna. Um, Figman is gonna see through the Olympics with the with the Dutch team was always the plan. Oh, that's right. You that's see, right, yeah. so it's all it's all. And and, and again, I don't want to make it sound like I think they're connected, but I do think it just makes it the whole picture a bit blurrier. Yeah, I agree, and and I and I did read today that 
Jane wasn't out of the running for the Olympics job. Not that it necessarily, not that she was in the running either, but I think she was under consideration either way. So perhaps that might be something she'll do a bit of time off this technical director role and then come in for, for the Olympics. I, I could see that being a, a feasible a step. But again, I think we're very much jumping the gun there. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's worth, and I don't think you can overstate it really, just how much she has done to develop women's football in Wales, not just the way that our senior team play. I'm sure no one will appreciate me calling the senior team, but um, uh, I, I, I think that we have moved up a gear and I think we've had a change of mentality and that has come from someone who has won at the top, top level of, of women's football um, winning the, the European Cup as she did and, and I think that as that change in mindset has really started to spread to the players and I think we're beyond now where I feel we may have been a few years ago where we were kind of happy to have a team, happy to be there, happy to have some trips away and and whatever else do I feel like a place where Welsh women's football now is considered um, in a lot more kind of serious a way, both for the players and and outwardly. And I think that she's been a big part of that change in mindset to, to really push excellence. I would agree. And I think it's you can see it reflected across the age groups. You can see it reflected across the amount of girls that are playing football, the, 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 um, the, the developments with things like B Cymru, just the whole sort of weight that's been put behind the women and girls game. is She's just been very, very integral in that. And it... it Part of it is her her development of the team as a coach. You know, we're now in the top 20, 30 in the, in the world consistently. There isn't that much difference between the ranking of the, the men's team uh, and the women's team. Um, but also, I think her impact on the wider scope of female football in, in Wales has been incredible. Her involvement with, you know, things like going to the Eisteddfod and all of all of that sort of connection that you can see um it's it's been it's been invaluable really yeah i think so too and i think like you say and we, we you know her going to their stethford and stuff like that i think like we've we've, we've talked about gary speed before for example the, the things he did to raise the profile of welsh football by going around and about and getting involved in local football and i think she's done that for the women's game and i think it's powerful um and I think, you know, from a from a football perspective as well, you've got to say, I don't really think she's made many mistakes. I, I mean, I know we talked before, I maybe should do something differently on that Norway game. But other than that, I can't really think of a time when I thought, oh, God, we've had a mare there. And you'd, you'd have to say that there but for the grace grace of god we could have we could have and probably should have been in a in a tournament coming up soon nothing to do with her you know she you know she's done everything right you could argue and and you know things have kind of conspired against her one way or the other both in the previous campaign just gone and and the one before that as well And, and i think you know i think she's very unlucky not to be kind of looking forward to leading wales in the euros but that is a story for another day i suppose yeah i mean i think unfortunately the women are suffering from what the men did in the sort of 80s and 90s where the numbers of teams in competitions, we were were always just on the cusp. You know, if it was a 16-team competition, we were 17th. You know, and I think the women women have hit that point, unfortunately. Yeah. 
No, I think you're right, and I think it is you know easy to, easy to say, I suppose, but it, we are the. I think if it happens once, once we get over that hump and we do it once, like the men have done, it will start to to happen more, and you know things will keep developing. But uh, anyway, I guess to, the last thing to say before we we move on, I do want to stick with the women's football and something that Helen Ward said recently. But I think it is important that we kind of recognise Jane and say thank you really for for the outstanding work she's done. Yeah, deal, Jane. Um, to stick with women's football, um, Helen Ward posted on uh, Twitter a couple of weeks ago now that she was considering retirement, given that the level at Watford playing is in is not elite sport in inverted commas. Um, so therefore, she can't play, she can't train. Um, it prompted a massive response on social media. She got a lot of uh, traction and attention uh, about about the statement that that was this kind of situation she was being forced into. Uh, she appeared on, I saw her on Sky Sports News. She's done a lot of t- other TV and radio stuff and, and has spoken really eloquently, I think, about the, the realistic struggles that, that women's football is going through. And I think it's a really interesting uh, paradox, I suppose, where we're saying on one hand, you know, thank you, Jane, for raising the profile of women's football in Wales, yet we've got our all-time leading goal scorer retiring, not because she wants to or because she's injured or anything else. It's because she can't, you know, she's not allowed to train under elite sport rules. Again, I, you know, I get there's a lot going on in the world. I really, really do. But it's it's a very kind of strange situation. It's hard not to feel for Helen and, and obviously so many other uh, women's footballers. It is a weird one. I mean, the, the, there are questions over, over parity within... The regulations that have been applied and what what has been defined as elite and i i think the there's no right way to be doing this i think whatever regulations are in place they're going you know a group is going to fall one side of the regulation line and a different group is going to fall the other side of the regulation line and I think we're in such uncharted territories, it's it's very difficult to know what the right scenario is. But I think what struck me has been the has been the disparities between the definitions as as they seem to have been applied to the to the women's game and and the men's game. And then you add on the hypocrisy of how some players who've been allowed to remain playing have behaved. And that's happened in both in both the men's and the women's game. I mean, the the, the players in the premiership that were attending New Year's Eve parties and things, they've had a lot of publicity. But, you know, Manchester United let their women's, some of their women's team go to Dubai for Christmas. They've come back and games have had to be cancelled because of COVID from it. So both, both the men and the women who have been allowed to remain playing have... Have a, a, it feels like they've kind of abused that privilege, and I can understand how that that is then particularly hurtful for people like Helen, who whose circumstances means she's falling outside the elite definition as it stands, um, and is in that very difficult situation that you described of you know homeschooling and working and not being able to train and all of that. And yet other people are, are sort of abusing, abusing the privilege. And I, I think the whole the whole sort of maelstrom around around that is it must be very difficult to navigate. And don't get me wrong, there are, you know, there's there's a group of us that have been very privileged during the whole COVID scenario where really all we've had to do is sit at home and get out of the way. And I feel very blessed that I fall into that category. And there are people that are 
facing appalling circumstances every day, whether whether that's their loss of their job or, you know, they're working front line, they're in hospitals, they're dealing with sick people. And the, the, the two the two scenarios are so, so completely different that we've got to be careful that we don't let those of us that are in the privileged position kind of feel feel that we can we can be demanding when there's so many people that are in the 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 horrible disadvantaged dangerous position but if we just look at this small issue on its own you can understand how Helen got to a point where it's just like how am I supposed to navigate this you just can't navigate this I think it's difficult, isn't it? Like you, you make, you know, you make a lot of points there, and we obviously want to avoid talking about COVID as much as possible because mm-hmm. that's, you know, we want to be an escape. But by the same token, I, I think the difficulty for me in this circumstance, and she's obviously one of many. If she was playing at the level she's playing at and was a man, she would still be playing football and, and earning her living now, and that fundamentally strikes me as wrong. If you kind of break it down to that black and white way, and I, I wrote an article for Welsh football fans a couple of weeks ago saying I think that football needs to have a circuit break whether that's um, the right thing to do or not I suppose everyone can have their own opinion on but I think to go along with that a big part of that is do football needs to do something to show that it's in touch with itself and reality and what's going on and I don't think it's right that people are doing what they've done like you said players going to parties whatever by the same token I, you know, why isn't football supporting people in all levels of the of its pyramid? That that strikes me as insane, and and to the point where it's Wales is all time leading goal scorer, uh, is is daft to me, and I, you know, I I I, I just feel like that football needs a reality check um, somewhere along the line, uh, and it's and it's not fair, which is a childish thing to say, but that it should be happening to these people almost solely on the basis that they're women and and that's that strikes me as wrong yeah i mean that's that's where my issues are with it like even the even the fa cup has had somewhat different rules for the men and the women i mean i know it's it kind of comes down to your definition of elite and, and not elite but you know then marine can be elite when they're playing spurs are not elite <laughs> when they're playing their league games, you yeah. know, and the, there seems there seems to have been some real hypocrisy around um, around the definitions. And as I was saying at the, at the beginning, I, I, there's no easy way to navigate this, and um, people are going to be working hard to do the right thing, and it's still going to be the wrong thing. Um, but I I do think there just needs to be some collective responsibility and some um, some equal. The field needs to be equal for people as best as you can make it. I think that is a, uh, a perfect summary. Uh, the equal field is uh, is absolutely <laughs> what's needed. Um, to talk more football-related matters, um, we kind of mentioned that some of the Wales players who would kind of be starting in the in the men's starting eleven, I guess, uh, have been mixed in terms of playing time. Um, and you've kind of done a bit of a bit of digging into this, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's difficult to know. Some players are getting, like, if you look at Alan, um, Aaron Ramsey's situation, for example, he seems much more embedded at at Juve this year than last. 
Um, he's consistently playing sort of 65, 70 minutes. He's, um, he's started, I think it's 13 games over the season. He didn't play well this weekend in the game against Inter, but I don't think any of, any of the UV players did, in fairness. Um, and actually, looking at Aaron's history of injuries, this sort of level of use may actually be a really good sort of measured approach for us. Uh, I don't. I think he's one of the players where where the lower lower but consistent numbers are probably a plus for us. And then you look at someone like Joe Morrell, who's become so so important for us, such an important, you know, probably back up to Alan and Ampadu, but he's become very important. And he's only played four games since November. So I think I think the concerns are perhaps in slightly different places than we anticipated them being, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like Joe Morrell, you mentioned there, has been kind of in and out Um had a few knocks and stuff but there's other people as well you know like Joe Rodden obviously is someone who played on the weekend um Ben Davis as well but they've certainly not been regulars for their team but are vitally important for for Wales yeah but again I'm I'm still I'm, I'm trying to put this in the context of a ludicrously busy season you know, Ben Davies has played, he's played in 25 games. And when he's played, he's usually played the full 90 minutes. And again, that might not be such a bad scenario for us going into, given they've still got European games and given in, going into a tournament in the summer. Rodden, I think, might be more of a concern. You know, he's, although, you know, equally, he played a full game at the weekend and, and played him, played very well. Yeah. Um, so you know he might be coming into the system in, at spurs a little bit more he's he's one of the ones that could be on the cusp of his minutes really growing or or equally it could just fizzle along for the rest of the season i would have more concern about him over davies at the minute but equally his trajectory looks promising yeah i i do know what you mean um i mean i i guess the, the the ultimate point I'm trying to make is is that it, there doesn't seem to be there's not too many people getting kind of consistent minutes, um, and uh, you know I I guess that that's the point of what I'm saying. I'm also massively concerned about the the goalkeeper situation, um, mm-hmm. where we've got no one from our main kind of core of three starting at the moment either. And you know someone has mentioned uh, I've, I've seen a few mentions sorry for the for the Norwich keeper who's currently standing in for for Tim Krul while he's injured. He's obviously having a very good have a, having a good time of it as well keeping a decent amount of clean sheets and playing well. You know young lad 18 so he's obviously got some potential. So there is you know kind of regeneration coming through I guess is what I'm trying to say but I am a bit concerned about that. I mean, the ultimate one that I'm most concerned about really is is Bale because he seems like he can't get game time for Spurs for love nor money. He didn't start against Marine. Um, and I wonder, you know, what, what, that, what that does for Wales, I guess. Just to round off the goalkeeping situation Sorry, yeah. quickly i mean adam davies is he's back training with stoke apparently not for the, only for about the last week or so but is back training so hopefully that's moving in the 
in the right direction there. But yeah, I think I think Bale is the big question. Um, I it, it's like it's trying. I'm trying to work out what he's doing wrong because he's obviously he seems to be training well. The other players seem to be, you know, the the few interviews where it comes up with other players, they seem to be very positive about what he's doing. They seem to be impressed. Um, he's played about the same number of games as he as he played with Madrid. You know, in the equivalent of half a season last year, he's he's a, played about the same number of minutes as he, as he did for Madrid. But clearly, something's wrong. And I don't know if you heard if you've heard that snippet of video where it looks like Mourinho threatens to send him send him back to Madrid. Um, but but clearly, there's a. I will say this: there's, there's an antig antag antig antagonism there sorry <laughs> there's some something is needling the situation somewhere i i did see that clip and from the, from my first viewing of it i saw it yesterday actually and it and it the way it it came across or was kind of put across to me was it was more him kind of having a bit of a joke with Son saying, I suppose if you want to move to Real Madrid, you can have to, you'll have to get used to sitting on the bench. So I don't necessarily think that that was aimed at Bale, although you can you can see why it would be. I, I think the main concern for me is is that he is still producing you know, every now and again for Wales, not with the regularity that he was. You know, he got the he set up. Uh, Brooks's goal against Ireland, for example, um, and looking a bit further back, he, he assisted Aaron Ramsey for the goal against Hungary as well. He scored against Azerbaijan. He scored against Croatia. That goal against Croatia, for example, is a goal I don't think anyone else in our team would score. Um, so you know he's definitely not in in going to be dropped necessarily straight away. But I, I do wonder at what point. Does his lack of game time and regular lack of game time stop him playing for Wales? And again, I'm not saying we're there yet, but I, I do wonder if, for example, next season and we're still in the similar position, I, I, we must be very close to having to make that sort of decision or at least have that conversation. I think if this if this carries on, there's going you're going to reach a point where he's not in the starting eleven. I just don't think we're there yet. Um, and I think part of the reason we're not there yet is that Dan James is in a similar position with the with the amount of play he's getting. Harry Wilson, although he's playing at Cardiff, it, it just seems like a strange loan move for him. He's he's getting lots of game time, but making sort of strange decisions when he when he's on the field. He just doesn't seem to quite fit the makeup of where Cardiff are at the minute. Um so I think there's also you reach a point where Bale remains included because there perhaps isn't uh, aren't the players who who could threaten him aren't at the top of their game either. Um, but I, I don't disagree with you. I think you're getting to a point where appearances and age are, are obviously starting to work against him. We'd be naive to think that to think that they're not. But as you outlined there. He's still producing when he's wearing the red shirt, not at the level that he was, but he is still producing and he is still adding to that team, I feel. So I'd, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we'll be there for this summer's tournament. But I think I think the question is, 
is getting closer, undoubtedly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a sad one to see, and it's it's difficult to to kind of even admit to ourselves that we might be kind of getting to that point. But I wonder, yeah, I wonder what needs to change for him. I, whether it's his, whether it's physicality, whether it's mentally, whether you know he gets knocked. I listened to um, an interview with Steve Watson, who used to play for Newcastle. Um, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. He said that he almost had like a phobia of being a sub because he was so worried that he couldn't do his normal kind of warm-up routines. He couldn't get himself ready because he was so worried about some of his little niggly injuries flaring up again that with like 20 minutes to go, if the manager turned around to him and said, right, you're going on, he would actually say to the manager at, at points, oh, my hamstring's a bit tight because he was that worried about doing doing himself damage through not warming mm-hmm. up and I'm, I'm sure you know he cannot be the only footballer who's ever thought that way or, or, or had those kind of fears and worries and it did make me think of Gareth Bale and I wonder if he is in that category where he's thinking look if I don't start or if I'm not going to come on for half an hour I can and I so I can get myself set and warmed up and ready to go and prepare myself and do all my stretches and whatever else where he thinks whether he even had a conversation with the manager and he's saying look I, I just don't think it's worth it for me and that is putting doubt in people's in the manager's mind, in the coach's staff, in his mind, what he's capable of, um, you know. And again, like Steve Watson was saying, like he was, he got to the point where he was, he was chasing after balls at ninety percent or eighty percent because he was worried that he was going to hurt himself. And then, of course, the, the problem with that is you're not playing to the best of your ability, and then you're less likely to get picked, and the, the, it becomes a kind of vicious cycle. So, it did make me think of Gareth Bale when I heard that. It's interesting. I'd not, I'd not thought of it in quite those terms before. Um, I mean, I, I don't think you can dismiss that, as, as you said, if Watson's thought that. He can't be the only fit footballer that's thought that. But I think, I think Gareth is so... When he's training and his involvement and he's clearly incredibly fit when he's fit so i think i think what they're seeing on the training field would hopefully allay those concerns although i understand what you're saying about warming up and feeling that you're actually in the best condition you can be to go on the field safely um and and then and then play well so yeah maybe maybe it is playing into that i mean i can understand when you've had a when you've had an injury, it makes it makes you nervous. You know, I I broke my ankle. It, you you think about walking across uneven ground. You know, it's in a way that you didn't. I didn't before I before I broke my ankle, and, and, and that's just a very rudimentary example. Yeah, no, I I get it, and I don't know, and it does make you wonder. Like we say, he's very fit. I mean, he's very fit compared to you or me, but I mean, is he? Is he fit enough to be? I mean, I'm not. I'm not having a go at him. I'm just asking the question. I don't know. We we all assume this of him. We don't see him, you know, training every day. Is he fit? Is he able to do what he wants to do in training? And that's the problem. I, we just don't know. And I, and I know we're not going to get an answer to that question unless you know Gareth comes on the pod. And if, if you do <laughs> listen, Gaz, if you could give me a, give me a, drop me a DM, I'd be uh, I'd be grateful. But. Um, I um yeah I I don't know I don't know it, it it's an interesting one it's a shame and I I don't want to kind of 
focus too much on on negatives around him because you know he's he's the best player we've ever had in my view. So it is it it just leaves us in an interesting position. Just to go back to the wider point, I guess that there are a few players, him included, who are kind of in a in a potentially weird spot in in regards to the the amount of playing time they're getting. Yeah, I mean, I won't I won't disagree with that. I mean, I think Ampadu is another concern, although he's been he's been playing more games over the last month or so, and uh, a mix of defensive midfield and, and centre back with Sheffield, and I think he's another a little bit like Rodden, where his time seems to be increasing. So hopefully he's on he's on on the right trajectory as well. But I, I think you're right. I think it's just, it's as much this kind of mix across the sort of presumed starting 11 and and how there's actually relatively few of them that are regular starters for their team. And yet there's equally, there's relatively few of them that aren't seeing game time at all. And I think Gareth is probably the extreme version of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to go back to Ampadu for a second, I got a, you know, I had a few back and forths to people on the weekend about him. I, I, I didn't think that he had a particularly great game on the weekend, but my, my um, question, my point, I guess, was more that he doesn't seem himself with Wales. He's kind of seems to be directing things and very, uh, you know, like a leader, whereas he seems to be a different version of himself playing for Chef U. And it's, you know, like you say, he's playing sometimes at the back, but I, I watched this week and he basically played on the left-hand side of a back three and he's sort of a left-back at the same time, given the way that Chef U play. He played in this weird kind of defensive midfield role against Newcastle, a game I would never, ever want to talk about ever again. Um, and it kind of, But he was, he was always kind of on the left-hand side, or he was very rarely central. And a part of that, I do think, is the way that Sheffield United play and the way that the situation they're in at the minute doesn't help. But again, he's another one who just doesn't seem himself at the minute. And again, that could well be the circumstance, um, which can't be easy. But again, he's someone who's... Certainly on my radar, I guess, especially when you think that Joe Allen is coming back from a big injury. Joe Morrell, like you mentioned, is kind of in and out. There's a, you know, there's certainly enough to worry about ahead of March, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think Ampadu is an interesting one because I, I don't think, I don't think Sheffield United really, well, they obviously haven't decided quite how to use him. No. Um, I think they can see the worth of him, uh, but where he fits in. And I do think the circumstances there must be very difficult. You know, when he, when he agreed to that loan, I, I think we all thought he was going to a team that, well, we certainly didn't think they'd be where they are in the league, did we? And I think the whole backs against the wall mentality makes it very hard to, to be on the front foot. And I think he's a player that needs to be on the front foot. And I think when he's playing for Wales, we encourage that. And I think Sheffield United might, even if it's um, subconsciously, I think are playing on the back foot, and that clearly doesn't doesn't suit him. You're right, I think uh, situationally, I think that is a big a big massive part of it, and I think you could probably say that for a lot of our players as well. Is that the situation is very is very different or difficult or whatever for each team um, and each player within that. So I, I think that is I think you are right there. It's just I don't know. 
hopefully, the, the one thing I will say is that there always seems to be somehow some sort of magic wand waved when they all come and, and, and wear a whale shirt, <laughs> where all their, you know, all their troubles seem so far away, as uh, as the Beatles famously sung. So yeah, I, I do I do wonder if it, it, it's just circumstantial, and we've just got to kind of enjoy the situation that we've got. The hopefully the Euros to look forward to, and you know we have a good, exciting uh, young team. Yeah, I mean, you're, I think you're right in that regard. I think we're blessed in that even when players are not, things are not going well at club level, they've come to come to Wales and perform. You know, you look at how Dan James was playing in the in the autumn games for us, for example, compared to the minutes that he's ha- actually had at United. And as United have improved, he's probably even less likely to be getting on the field yeah. over the next the next few months, isn't he? Yeah, that's another but worry. It, again, but. but it doesn't seem to be impacting us yet, at least. No, he's been playing very well the last few times he's played for Wales. So maybe, yeah. again, he's just another one who just enjoys getting away. Um, yeah. Obviously, I mentioned the Euros there, the potential for it going ahead in the summer. Seamless link. Um, and uh, there's obviously been a lot of questions come out this week about ticket refunds. Um, I posted on Twitter earlier, has anyone got any questions, anything they'd like us to talk about? And Ellis James replied, said if you could talk to Sage, uh, the World Health Organization, Mark Drakeford, Vaughan Gething, the Public Health England, the FAW and UEFA and tell me if I should get a refund on my ticket for the Euros, I'd really appreciate that. So we're, we're here to help Ellis James out and, uh, and doubtless one or two others as well. Um uh, so how many of those have you ticked off your list? <laughs> well, my my gag that I I sent to him was I did have a reply from reply from uh, reply from Drakeford who sent me uh, two emojis. One was the Italian flag and the other was a plane. And uh, and to go with it, he sent me a picture of him of himself shirtless drinking Moretti, which I took to mean that we should uh, we should all go to Rome. Um, as for as for the World Health Organization or as who. As uh, as Ellis put it in his message, I did say that Roger Daltrey said he would have his ticket if Ellis didn't want it. So, so there you go. Thank you to uh, everyone else who also got involved with a selection of uh, the Who-based puns uh, in, in, in my replies. There. I appreciated that. Um, on a serious note, I I I I kind of. I kind of don't want to talk about it because I, I don't think I'm ready to admit yet that this this is looking less and less likely. Um, I was going to ask you, because uh, I can't remember as much as anything else, what is your ticket situation? Because you did get one in the end, didn't you? And you were roaming an hour and I can't, I have, I can't remember what you've done. I have, a, I have a ticket for Rome and I have an option on the semi-finals and final. That's my situation. So not the Baku tickets, but I have a ticket for Rome. I'm I'm really in a quandary personally about this, Dave, because I can't I can't see me personally being ready to get on a plane to Italy by June. I really can't. When I think about how careful I've been for a year now. I, I, I can't see me getting on a plane. No, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, understandable, really. It's it's such a difficult situation. I mean, obviously, Joy, my wife and I, moved from America to the Netherlands in the summer, so we have already been on a plane. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, to to an extent, there's some there's some things that have been taken out of it for me. 
in that in that sense. But I mean, the other thing is obviously the expense. It, it was a pain in the ass getting refunds for flights and whatever else. And you know, we did get them in the end, thankfully. But obviously, there's still a, 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 an expense there that would need to be paid out. By the same token, you know, for you, it's not. I'm flying from the Netherlands to Rome. Is not not too ridiculous a prospect at short notice. Whereas flying from uh, from the west coast of America to Rome is uh, is a very different prospect. So you know, it, I say that because there's obviously lots of people in lots of different circumstances, not just as black and white as can I get there or not. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, and there's whole there's a whole different set of questions, isn't there about vaccinations and, and where the EU what the EU might feel about people arriving with or without vaccinations um, I'm I mean I, I can't see me have been vaccinated by June for example and I think that the and that's assuming that we're all in a position to go I mean I actually think it's much more likely that these will be played in bubbles or at least with very limited crowds than it's actually happening and we have a decision about whether we're going to use our tickets or not. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, the uh, UEFA said in their email that they sent around that they are looking at, I think they said three options. One is behind closed doors, or maybe four options, sorry. One is behind closed doors. One is some sort of bubble thing where it all happens in one country. Uh, one is it happens with fans but a limited number of fans they referenced something like zero uh, like 30% to 70% or something like that and then finally kind of uh, from 50% to, to full stadia so that's kind of where they are at in their thinking I mean I, I just from my perspective I'm not ready to kind of give in on it yet I, I'm, I know the reality of the situation and for me it's slightly different it's probably easier for me to get here from here to Rome than it is for other people just because the EU and all that uh, you know another shit show <laughs> brewing further down the line um, but and then to go with that of course um, my I I was in on the first round of it and got a relatively cheap ticket so I, you know if I lose 40 euros or whatever it was on the on the ticket if I can't go and I keep it then that's not the end of my world whereas I recognize for other people They've either got the more expensive tickets or the tournament tickets or they're flying from further afield. It's a lot more of a kind of complicated, complicated scenario. Um, for what it's worth, Ruth, what do you think is the most kind of likely go-ahead scenario in terms of do you think it's going to be closed doors? Do you think it's going to be limited capacity? Do you think it's going to be in one country in like a bubble sort of circumstance? What is your kind of your gut feeling on what you think will happen? I honestly don't know. I, I'm. I. I think the one thing I'm certain of is it's not going to be as it would be location-wise and crowd size-wise. I can see bubbles, but not necessarily a single country bubble. I can see them going for an option where they reduce the number of locations that are involved. You know, take a take a dipstick test in. I don't know early April do some projections, look at where COVID might be a bit better and a bit worse by June and say, okay, we're going to use these six locations for argument's sake. Um, I can't see 
there doesn't seem to be a huge advantage to having it in a country if you're having say six locations in a country i know russia was on the table versus six locations somewhere in the eu that seems to kind of seems to be different sides of the same coin to me from a a kind of health and safety point of view um personally i think i'm leaning towards returning my rome ticket because i was in the situation where i got one of the expensive tickets which is an it is a factor i think i'm in leaning towards returning my Rome ticket but keeping the option on the semi-final and the final tickets because god knows if we get there i want to <laughs> be there but at least at least i know that under other circumstances i will get a refund for those two tickets um and also very understandably at the minute the italians could quite legitimately say to me, we are, we're not taking anyone from the US and we're certainly not taking anyone from the US who hasn't been vaccinated. Yeah. Whereas I know I can get to London. Yeah. So um, just from a very personal point of view, that's the way I'm leaning at the minute. I think from my perspective, I think it will go ahead i think it will go ahead in either in one country or in reduced location like like you say it's kind of different sides of the same coin to an extent there but i i do think that is what will happen um i think my gut feeling if i'm if i'm being brutally honest is i think that it will either be behind closed doors or a limited capacity from people in that country so for mm-hmm. example if you know uh, wales are playing switzerland in baku only Azerbaijanis, if that still happens, would be able to go, for example. Um, and and that that's my gut feeling. I mean, it's a difficult one because a lot of, you know, part of the experience of, of, of 2016 was, you know, for you and I, and I'm sure everyone else really, was spending time with your mates, watching it with your pals and having this amazing experience after it's something you've waited for for such a long time so there's there's another part of me that thinks well even if we can go and i'm fortunate enough to be able to get to rome you know do i want to be sitting in that stadium on my own you know 10 seats away from my mate o's and can't celebrate with him if wales caught you know it's it's there's there's that element to it as well so i just don't know i don't know there's obviously lots of aspects of it what's right and what's wrong um but for me personally, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna keep mine for now and gamble on it. And as you say, I've I've also got the option of the the semi and the final if we get there. And I think that would be an, a much easier trip back to back to London for that and more manageable. So that's my thought. I think you know a lot of people have said what do you think or, or whatever. And I, and I think like you said there, the, the the best bit of advice if if we can you know we're on you know call Deirdre over here, but is. Uh, <laughs> Is, is is I think it's just got to be what you're personally happy with. Like I, I obviously I'm a teacher. I work in a circumstance where I've been surround. I'm surrounded by about two thousand people a day. <laughs> you know, I've people in my office, in my department, in my classes have have had COVID, and you know I've managed touch wood to steer clear of it. So, you know, I feel like I'm probably in a different situation to people who've been shielding or whatever for 
for nine months and and kind of probably view things differently to me which again is is also is also fine i think that's the only thing i can i can say really is that i think whatever decision you make it shouldn't be based on what your pal thinks or what anyone else thinks or whether you think this will go ahead or just whatever you kind of personally think is is the right thing for you yeah i would i would agree we're all we're all um we're all living this strange common life at the moment and yet such independent and isolated lives as well aren't we so i think there's a a tendency to think that there can be an answer to this question Uh, but clearly there can't everybody's circumstances are so different and people's considerations and comfort levels are so different that that i think you i agree with you you've just got to go with what your makes sense for you individually Look at us giving out consumer advice. We, uh, you know, we've gone. I don't from, think we have though, uh, have we? Well, yeah, we You make your mind up. Um, who, would, who would have thought when we started recording this in Costellas that you'd have been on on BBC Radio and now would be giving out consumer advice? Uh, there you go. Uh, who'd have thought it? Um, just as a, to finish up, who'd have thought sorry, we could Bob. record this in the pub? Eh? Yeah, exactly. Remember that <laughs> shit. Um, uh, anyway, Costello's, by the way, uh, this is not relevant to anyone who listens, I'd imagine, <laughs> but Costello's, where we used to record this, has not been able to reopen um, since since this, even though some of the other pubs in, in, in the area have. Well, Costello still hasn't reopened, which I think is a shame, and I really hope that it doesn't doesn't go to the wall. Mm. Anyway. Mm, I'll prob- that's I'll, sad. Yeah, it is sad. I'll probably edit that out because no one else cares apart from us, I'd imagine, <laughs> but, but there we go. Um, so we wanted to finish by doing a quick roundup of um, some of the Welsh clubs. I was hoping I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter that uh, the the takeover for Wrexham was going to be confirmed today, um, and I am I'm, I'm furiously refreshing Twitter to see if that has happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think we should uh, we should talk about some of the other some of the other clubs. Um, we'll start with Swansea City. I think is probably the best bet who have lost players in the summer, who have lost players to injury, have had players taken away from them from the loan system, yet still somehow keep winning games, keep churning out results, keep playing decent football and, and you know, have this sort of steeliness in them which demonstrates their real credentials, I think, to having a good crack at promotion. Steeliness is a good word, isn't it? Because we, I think we always categorise mentally think of them as a a young dynamic team but there's there's undoubtedly some backbone in this this iteration of of Swansea City I mean they're just such an advert for having a plan and having an academy aren't they and gelling the two and being consistent and having a having a, a a track and 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 just sticking to it um they've they're doing remarkably well, and uh, you know another nice win at at, at the weekend. Um, yeah, just, I, I agree. You, ca- you can't say enough good things about. No, them. I, I, I totally just, agree. Yeah, I mean, I think I, the you know you see you, you I feel like sometimes you know it's things are going to go well where 
things that weren't working out all of a sudden have exploded. Like you look at Jamal Lowe, he hadn't scored for ages. He you know gets one off his ass or whatever against Cardiff, <laughs> and now he scored a worldie about half an hour later, and now he can't stop scoring. He's he's just been on fire, and I think every time there seems to be a problem, they always seem to find an answer. And I and I think Steve Cooper is just doing an absolutely superb job there. Yeah, I agree. You know, you you worry when, as you were saying, the likes of Rodden and people leave, you worry what's going to happen. And they just seamlessly s- slot in the, you know, next one off the conveyor belt and, yeah. and just have just done so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to go to the opposite end, relatively speaking, <laughs> of that particular spectrum in Cardiff City, um, who are not doing so well. I mean, I, I feel for Cardiff in a, in, in a way because... And I'm and I'm sure there's going to be lots of people listening to this who who won't feel for Cardiff, but I think they've they've they're a victim of their own short sightedness, aren't they? And I think that you every time you try and put a put a plaster on one thing to solve the problem, invariably the plaster will only last for so long. And I think that in this ridiculous analogy, which I wish I'd thought about before, <laughs> that I think it, Neil Harris being the plaster at the moment, you know, it's, he's, he's, he's hanging on for dear life. And I, and I wonder if this needs to be the time for Cardiff where they stop putting plasters on their problems and kind of genuinely address them if they want to move forward. Um, and I think sacking Harris, who I think has done relatively you know, well, may, obviously not this season, but as, as, as in his tenure, I know they don't play excited football, but... I think he's done well in terms of what he got out of them last season, especially. I, I I just wonder if they need to take a longer term approach at this and get a young manager in who knows who knows the club a little bit. Obviously, Craig Bellamy is is the is the name on on the top of my on the tip of my tongue. But um, you know, even Mark Delaney, you know, who's done well at Aston Villa, maybe someone come in who's they're willing to take a longer term punt on, give them a chance, let them coach players bring the academy players through, you know, develop the academy, you know, own their own training facilities, which they don't at the minute, kind of have a long-term approach to this. Because I feel like if they're going to get rid of Neil Harris, you know, bring in, let's say, I mean, I don't think this would happen, but let's say a Tony Pulis, you, you, you know, you might get the short-term bounce but long term, it doesn't solve anything. Nothing gets better. You're very—it's a very first team approach, and I think that Cardiff need to get out of that habit because I think that does underpin what a lot of their fundamental problems are. Like even in this transfer window now, they've they've spent money on a on a fullback, on a striker. You know, yes, you know, I'm sure you can make the argument that you need them, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fundamental problem there. It's another, if you'll excuse it, it's another plaster on on a, on a on a short term problem. Yeah, no, I, I just agree with everything you said. That doesn't, it, it, it's, it's such a contrast to the situation at Swansea, isn't it? In that there doesn't seem to be a plan. The academy is underutilised, although they have brought a couple of players through recently. The, the setup screams, as you said, of being short term. And I think the, the only way you can really develop as a club now is to have a much longer term view. You have you have to have stability and a base before you can push forward. And I I feel like Cardiff's been like literally riding the waves, and they they need to get a keel on that boat, and they need to get 
some rigidity to what they're doing and some formality to what they're doing. I don't think being the kind of pragmatic sort of defensive team that they are is necessarily the wrong thing. It's just they ricochet around that and they they don't develop to that. Um, and I and I think there just needs to be a, a look at the big picture here. I agree. I mean, I'm I'm giving medical advice with plasters. You're, you know, you're talking <laughs> about boating and waves. Um, so I, I suppose, you know, it's not an easy problem to solve. I I, I agree. I, I think they're, I, I, in my view, and I say this as a Newcastle fan who's had to put up with this for a long time. The the way that Cardiff play football is often as a consequence of something. I don't think a manager wants to go into a football club and say, I want us to be boring. All right, we may kind of churn out results, but I want us to be dull. No one does that. That's always a response to something. And you look at when Swansea did that, for example, and they went down that road with your Gary Monks and whoever, who trying to change the style and make it about we need to stay where we are eventually that runs off, like runs out. And again, you look at what happened to Swansea. They've kind of brought the, that style of football back through Potter um, and and now more, you know, slightly more pragmatic, to be fair with Steve Cooper. But Cardiff have got up playing that kind of style that Neil Warnock utilised, one of very few sides to kind of play that way and go up in recent years. Um, but then you're stuck then, aren't you? Because you get into the Premier League and you can't play that way every week because you're just not good enough. So you're stuck and you become more pragmatic and you become more defensive and, you know, it becomes a never-ending cycle. And, and I think they're finding out now that that is, they're at the bottom of that cycle, really. Uh, you know, it, there needs to be a fundamental overhaul. I'm just saying the same thing I said before now, but with a different analogy, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and I do worry for Cardiff. I think if they get this appointment wrong and don't make a decision soon, it, that that slippery slope becomes ever more lubricated <laughs> and, uh, uh, and uh, even more difficult to pull yourself up. I think we need to stop before these analogies get even worse. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think uh, I, we should have done this when I was day drinking yesterday. It probably would have made a bit more sense. <laughs> To move on from uh, from lubrication to uh, Newport, they're in a, a bit of a funny position themselves because they're second in the league, but the league has kind of uh, closed up a little bit. It's a bit tighter at the top than it was. I think they've won two in six or five or six um, at the moment, which is a bit of a concern. Obviously, they have their FA Cup exploits. They were great against Brighton, but you know we're a little bit unlucky in the penalty shootout. Um, I I say this because I remember last season they got to a point when they and they you know we were hoping they were going to the the cup run was going to help them and it was going to help them kick on and it kind of never really materialized and they just trundled through the season in mid table until of course um the, the the league got sh- cut short and I really hope that that doesn't happen this year and I I worry because they have lost a few of their lone players they have replaced them um to an extent but they've lost a few of those lone players that were doing so well for them and I worry that they're perhaps starting to run out of steam a little bit. And I feel awful saying that because I don't want it to be the case. But uh, I am I am a bit concerned about that. I'm concerned, but equally they've they have this pattern of December January dips, don't they? Yeah. And 
I think the fact that they've hit this again, that's that's a question in itself. They've hit this again, yet are still second is in some respects is one, it's encouraging, but also it reflects the fact that the teams are just all over the place this season. You know, the league, all of the leagues are, are much more compressed. Um, so I think if if they can get through this next, say, three or four games without their their league position dramatically changing, then I'm I would hope that they can they can get that pickup that they usually they usually get in the late winter. I don't know why that pattern is established at Newport, but it seems to be. I think the, the FA Cup run probably does have a bit to do with it, to be fair. I mean, mm, whilst maybe. it's great yeah. on one side, you, there's, you're putting a lot of focus and energy and, and probably mental energy into this thing. And it must be difficult because it's happened a lot over the over the last few years. Brighton, Leicester, Tottenham, um, Leeds, they played as well a couple of years ago. So you're in this cycle where you probably, you've played these big games and all of a sudden you're going to, you know... Berry, well, not Berry. That was a terrible example, but, um, but you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, it's just not quite the same anymore, is it? And and I do yeah. wonder if that is that is a, that is that mental aspect as a part of it. But hopefully, that won't happen. But I think mentally, they. I mean, coming through that draw with Salford when they were down to ten men, I think that does show that mentally, there's you know to use the the word you used earlier, there's some steel to them as well. Yeah, I know that's true, and I and I hope that that is the sort of uh, game that will give them the response that they need to kind of turn the, turn the next corner and kind of and, and, and go again um you know after their after their little slump um to finish uh we should mention Wrexham who I'm still furiously furiously <laughs> refreshing twitter um <laughs> man my laptop's about to die which I'm recording this on which is great um but uh yeah he uh, we we're at the point now. Where I think the the takeover is very very close, and I think it needs to happen soon as well, um, because I think you know they're having such an indifferent year. I think it would be a good opportunity to kind of use the rest of the season to rebuild in one way, shape, or form, start afresh in the summer, and have a kind of a full out attack at things next year. I don't think you're wrong there, but it's this is. I mean, we've talked about compressed leagues. This this national league is such an extreme case of that um, after their win at obviously they've been off for a few weeks so they had a win at Dover at the at the weekend um, and they are now eighth in the league but they're only uh, a win off fourth but equally they're only four points off being 17th as well you know that <laughs> that table is just yeah. so squidged that a couple of wins and you a couple of wins or a couple of losses and you can move so much in either direction that I, I don't think we should dismiss the potential of this season for that reason. Um, and I think the, the fact that they came out of their, their um, I'm call it a break for want of a better word, they came out of their, of their break with a, a nice three win, a three one win away is really encouraging as you know, they haven't scored that many goals over the season. So to, to come out, firing three in that game was important so hopefully that you know that's a sign that things might be moving in the right direction I just wouldn't want I just wouldn't want this season to turn into a a stopgap because I think I think there's potential in that league still yeah no I think that's fair and I mean you look at like you say you mentioned the league there they've also got games in hand you know on on some of the teams above them you know yeah uh, three games on 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 Altrincham so 
there is definitely, as you say, I guess, room for manoeuvre. I, I, I say the inconsistency thing because I mentioned the inconsistency, sorry, because I think the way that they are being managed seems inconsistent in itself. They're kind of good one week and rubbish the next, or they kind of scrape a win where they don't deserve it. And then they, are, they have been, you know, kind of hit and miss. And I think that is something that ultimately needs to be addressed as a longer term issue as well. And as a consequence of that, I wouldn't see them going up this year. But again, I mean, you never know. Torquay are kind of, mile, well, relatively miles away at the top of the league. And then everything else, like you say, I mean, they win their two or three games in hand. And all of a sudden, they're one point off second. <laughs> you know, it is it is very condensed in there. So it is, um, it is a very interesting league. But I think the te- the takeover thing is kind of massive for them and, and needs to happen sooner rather than later, just so that the the circus element of it, if you like, needs to is out the way. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that the the documentary video thing, fly on the wall thing, has started, even though the yeah. the takeover isn't isn't quite yet finalised. I've also found it a bit interesting that uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelney did a lot of stuff on Twitter and whatever else and were very active with what they were saying about Wrexham and stuff like that and that has dried up a little bit as well so I I do wonder if they are you know getting to the final knockings of it all now and kind of focusing on signing bits of paper and dotting I's and crossing T's rather than they are kind of making fun of twi- funny, funny Twitter videos um, and I think maybe that shows that it's, it is getting to the to the final knockings now, like I say. Yeah, that might just have been a bit of legal advice while it was all still pending as well, just to be, you know, a bit circumspect with what they were saying. Yeah, true. And Christmas. Um, uh, <laughs> I suppose they've probably got better things to do with their lives. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know about you, Ruth, but I was going to say I, I need to go and have my tea. I don't know about you. You probably don't need to have your tea, given it's uh, you know ten o'clock in the morning. But uh, I need another cup of coffee, is what I need. There you are. Well, there you are. Look, we've sent Ruth to sleep, uh, and she was even on the pod. So, so there we go. Um, yeah, we'll we'll call that quits there. Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gents. Thank you for your time, Ruth. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's been nice to catch up. It has, and hopefully we will be back on this uh, a lot more regularly now. Uh, as Christmas is over and hopefully some sense of normality can resume in one way, shape or form. So we're going to try and do once a week or at least once a fortnight anyway uh, in the coming weeks. So again, thank you for listening and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.